welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nikia and I'm generation we explore all things legacy wealth and legacy businesses wealth and businesses that would outlive their founders and have sustained impact not only over space but also over time for generations and this really is a safe space we invite guests from all over the world business owners thought leaders to come on and share authentically and with curiosity and this week my people (laughs) Alicia Hanf really I was just blown away completely blown away by our conversation Alicia is founder and managing partner at Dear Mama Ventures which is a one billion dollar initiative to deploy poly capital to black brown female and veteran-led founders who are solving some of the world's most challenging problems. I love this lady. And what I loved so much about her evolution, trajectory, story, um, and how she, 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 what led her to this place in developing Dear Mama Ventures is that it's deeply inspired by her lived experience as a minority as a female and as a military veteran. And so she comes into this space with deep empathy and a nuanced understanding. And my God, her story is just wow. Her insight is just wow. Her wisdom is just wow. So this was a an amazing episode. I wish we had like an hour and a half. Like these days I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. Like um, my favorite is Steve Bartlett. Another favorite of mine is um, the Lewis Howes and their podcast episodes go for almost two hours at times. And I'm like, I think I'm going to have to take up that format because... <laughs> My guests are just killing it. It's just phenomenal. So encourage you to tune in, enjoy and share the love. Share this episode with a friend and yeah, enjoy this. Hi, Alicia. Welcome to The Connected Generation. I can't wait for our conversation. (laughs) Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me this morning. Yes, it's awesome. Um, So you are the founder and managing partner at Dear Mama Ventures. What is that and how did you get her? Oh my goodness. So this is one of my most favorite questions. I think the how did we get here? And I often think, you know, have you ever been to a map or an amusement park or even on a hiking trail? And as you look at the map, you see it's a star and it says you are here. And Mm. I often have these moments where I think of just how far I've come in my journey in my life and, and really have to get grounded in gratitude of like, wow, I am here. I still Mm. have a long way to go, but I know that I've come so far. And so I always love this question because it just gives me an opportunity to touch on the journey a little bit. So Mm. I think the best way to talk about how I got here is to talk about where I came from um, in my journey. So Dear Mama Ventures, first and foremost, is an early to late stage investment platform where we're deploying financial, social, and intellectual capital into some of those founders who are solving the problems of tomorrow today. So we often talk about investing in next-gen founders, those who are the most innovative and who've often had to overcome all odds to be successful. And so in my line of work, that just happens to be the black and brown community, women and military veterans. And so how I got here, um, really non-traditional background. I started off in the military. So I spent six years in the US Army, where I was a member of a specialized branch of the Chemical Corps called Technical Escort. So we worked with a lot of the three letter agencies. We worked with the bomb techs, um, did a lot of stuff in science labs, but I really learned there the power of camaraderie and teamwork and really learned my superpowers as a woman. I was the only woman on a 14 man team. And they would often tell me, you know, you are the most valuable person on our team because you're the only woman. Use your combat multipliers. And those are 
your strengths as a woman and your superpowers that, that men don't have. Your combat multipliers. Multipliers, wow. yeah. <laughs> so early in my career, I was really encouraged to just lean into being a woman and being in that divine feminine, which was really great. Mm. And so from there, I went on to Afghanistan and I went over, um, was part of the Department of Defense and ended up working there to build communities and realized that my superpower was an ecosystem building. So I ended up working there with locals, with militaries from all around the world. And how do we create communities of trust and systems that are beneficial for people from all over the world to include our locals there in Afghanistan to create systems that were reliable and beneficial for everybody. And so from there, I moved to Baltimore, Maryland, and realized that the Department of Defense wasn't for me, um, and found myself working with professional athletes. And so for me, I've always felt a need to be fierce and pave the way for other fierce women where we might not be represented. So I had my hopes set on becoming a sports agent and started working I know, started working for a sports agency there in Baltimore, working with the Ravens, and noticed that the transition story between professional athletes and military veterans is really similar. And that oftentimes, you know, when you're in the military or on a professional sports team, your identity is wrapped up in your uniform, you know, your name is on your back. And Mm -hmm. so oftentimes, when we transition, we have a huge loss of identity. We also spend most of our careers building something for somebody else versus for ourselves. So when we get out, it's not like we worked hard to build something and then we're doing that thing again. It's often like, where do we go from here? Mm. And so statistically, most veterans and athletes are homeless within five years. And I wanted to change that. So I started working with Baltimore Ravens players and just felt like that was where I was going to be for the rest of my life. And I ended up... um, life threw a wrench in my plans. And I ended up getting a call from my brother. And he said two words that changed my life forever. He said, mom's dead. Mm. And what I realized in that moment was that my mother was a victim of domestic violence and was shot and killed. And um, at this time, I'm a single mother, my youngest daughter was just about one years old. And I packed our whole lives up and moved us back out here to LA. And when I got home, I told my little brothers, I said, this moment is going to change us for the rest of our lives. We will never Mm. be the same, but we get to choose whether this changes us for better or for worse. And so we made a pact that day that we were going to change the world a little to a light each day. And so (laughs) I went into tech because I think that tech can change the world and launched an ed tech company and realized that as I see all these twists and turns, realized that as a woman, as a woman of color, a woman in tech, a single mom, a military veteran, I had so many obstacles to overcome instead of opportunities to succeed. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to change that. So I launched an accelerator and um, for military veterans who are entrepreneurs and ended up helping scale that to 37 cities across the country worked with uh, accelerators and building out programming and working with about 2000 entrepreneurs globally and found my way into venture capital very naturally. And then um, when everything happened with George Floyd and I was seeing the hundreds of millions into the billions of dollars being pledged to invest into black and brown entrepreneurs, but it wasn't being done. I said, something has to be done about this. Like Mm -hmm. I want to be the one who holds people accountable for putting their money where their mouth is. But I also want to be the one to make these investments because I know that I can, because I'm seeing the deal flow. I'm seeing the opportunities and I'm seeing the entrepreneurs who are working against all odds to be successful and care about making this world a better place. And so last May around mother's day, I went to my mom's Mm -hmm. grave for the first time since losing her. And I wrote a letter and I said, dear mama, I wholeheartedly believe it is my mission and my purpose in life to create a world where all people can show up vulnerable enough to dream and have the resources to execute on them. And in that Mm -hmm. moment, I saw my writing say, Dear Mama, and I went to my car and I put on Tupac's Dear Mama. And I started listening to Tupac. And I said, you know what, this is it. I'm creating a venture firm for the culture by the culture. And Mm -hmm. we're going to rewrite the narrative so that when people see black or brown women or military veterans, they know that we are the future of innovation and that we are the ones to change the world. Oh my God, Alicia. (laughs) I don't even know what to say. Um, You are so fierce and so strong. And you are the queen of reinvention. 
Like you've reinvented yourself in so, so many ways. Um, and I guess I want to start from the moment when everything changed, as you said, like you got a call from your brother that your mum had passed away. Can you just take us back there? Yeah, so it's interesting because thank you for asking that question. Nobody asked that question. And I think um, every time I tell the story, so to back it up even further, I talked about um, rewriting the narrative a second ago. Mm. And so, um, and my voice cracks, this is going to be an indicator of what I'm saying. So one of the narratives that I had to rewrite as a veteran, people often look at me and they say, you don't look like you were in the army. Because when people think of army of a soldier, they usually think of this like Rambo type of soldier of Mm -hmm. somebody with PTSD or homeless veteran, because that's what the stigma is. Mm. And so one of the narratives that I really worked to rewrite was about PTSD, because post-traumatic stress disorder is something that really everybody faces, whether it's having a parent that was divorced, that was a traumatic event in your childhood, from getting Mm. in a car accident and being nervous in a car to, you know, a really bad breakup, like, these are moments that are traumatic and things can trigger those things that come up with us. Um, Every time I tell the story about what happened with my mom and go back to that moment, I can feel those symptoms of trauma in my body, you know, whether Mm. my palms get sweaty or Mm -hmm. how my voice just cracked there. Um, And it really was a defining moment in my life where I had, I had a choice to make a a really quick choice, like right or left, you know, yes or Mm. no, I had to choose whether that ruined me and broke me, or if that propelled me to making me better. And in that moment, I made that choice of this isn't going to be the thing that defines me for worse in my life. How can this be the thing that wakes me up, that changes me, that propels me forward to my actual purpose? Wow, Alicia. And I feel like you've been making that decision that wasn't the first time and the last time you made that decision you've done that several times where you've gotten to a comp like a you know a t-junction you can either go left or right um you can either and it's it's valid for you to be in pain because it is traumatic but you always saw purpose how how did you in that moment you know, how did you say to your brothers that this will define us and this? How did you how did you have that emotional fortitude at that point in time? Yeah, that is a, another really good question. So I don't know. And I have always felt even since I was little, I knew that I was supposed to make a big splash in the world. I always knew that there was a light or something that, you know, that I was that I was put here for something that was bigger than myself. Mm. And um, a lot of that I think has to go back to my military training. And so this is a principle that I talk about. Um, I did a TEDx talk on last known point, which is a military land navigation technique. I didn't know that I was applying this at the time. And that's one of the brilliant things about military. And again, with professional athletes, the reason we train so hard, the reason we practice so hard, the reason we run the same drills all the time isn't to torture us. It's so that when one of these decisions comes up in life, we already know what to do instinctively, Mm -hmm. you know, through practice. And so Mm -hmm. I think from my experience in the military, being in Afghanistan, being in situations that were traumatic, when that happened, my instinct wasn't to collapse under the pressure. It was to slow things down, to take a breath, to just look at moving forward through the situation. Um, Powerful. That's powerful. And I'm sure that will serve you so well as an entrepreneur now building your fund. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And to touch on that point really fast, and it, it came up through the moment with my mom where I felt like when that happened, I was the most lost I've ever felt in my entire life. And mm. I, I needed to feel that loss. I needed to become that uncomfortable to get to where I am today. Mm. Um, but when that happened, I remember walking out to the beach and the beach that I've gone to my whole life, my hometown beach and walking to the water and, and the noise of life was so loud. I just, I remember wanting to walk as far out into the waves as possible so that the water would come up over my ears because I was like, I just want this noise to stop. The noise and of life. The noise so of loud. life. It was so loud. And I was making so many decisions, you know, um, dealing with the trauma, 
being a single mother, relocating, trying to get back on track. And I remember putting my head in my hands and just crying and praying and saying, I'm so lost. How did Mm. I get here? And it was in that moment of absolute surrender where I just said, I'm lost, fix Mm. it. It's when I heard a voice in my head, which was my drill sergeant's voice from basic training, where he said, do you, what is your last known point? Do you remember what your last known point is? And so last known point is a military land navigation technique for when you're lost in the woods. And it's so applicable in life. So we oftentimes find ourselves feeling really lost saying, how did we get here? Looking for that place on the map that says you are here and we don't know where we are. And so last known point is the principle of when you get lost, which we all do, don't panic, don't freak out, don't try to run forward, don't try to cut corners. Go back to that last place you remember knowing where you are or where you Mm. were, replot your course and find your way again. And so in life, not in the woods, for me, this is always a values conversation. Whenever I'm finding myself feeling really lost, it's because I've gone outside of my purpose. I'm working outside of my values. And I simply have to like bring myself back to alignment. God, Alicia. Oh my goodness. Um, I 1000% relate to this because I've been through this in the last three months. Um, I wish we'd had this conversation whilst I was going through this. However, um, <laughs> It's useful reflecting um, because incidentally, I was just saying to a friend that I felt out of alignment and it was because I was veering away from who Nikia was at the core. And I felt like, yeah, I was veering away from my core values and there was grief involved in that as well. Um, So I love this. What is your last known point? the point at which you are in alignment, you are centered. Um, And when you know that, what does that then do for you as you're lost? As your last known point. Mm -hmm. So when you're in the woods and you are able to go back to your point, you're able to, you have a compass, you have, you know, you're able to replot, look at your map and say, okay, this is where I need to go. Mm -hmm. In life, it oftentimes puts things back in perspective of like, one, who am I? What is my why? Am I working within my why or am I working in someone else's why? Oftentimes we feel lost because we're not on our own plan. We're not on our own course and trajectory. So going back to our last known point is really a check-in of like, who am I? What are my values? Where was I going? You know, and, and where am I now? And am I off track? How do I get back into alignment with where that is? And so um, this actually happened to me very recently at FOE at the conference where we oh, met at. Yeah. Um, mm. I don't know if you remember, but Ray Lewis was there. Mm-hmm. He was one of the speakers. And when I saw Ray, I didn't know at the time, but I, why I just said I need to talk to him. Mm. And as I've been thinking about my journey with Dear Mom and the Fund, you know, I've come a really long way, but my true last known point from today was when I was back in Baltimore, when I knew for sure that I was going to be a sports agent, that I was going to pave the way, that I was going to tell this transition story and work with athletes and veterans. And then I, you know, life happened and it brought me here, but I was like, wait a second, that was my last known point. Um, How do I get back to that certainty? And so seeing him and he was, you know, Super Bowl champion, NFL Hall of Famer, part of the Baltimore Ravens, reignited that own conversation with my with me about last no point and helped realign me on my path of what I knew for certain I was meant to be doing oh that's that's amazing that's so beautiful that you can feel out of alignment for such a long time um but you can re refine yourself I guess um and it gives you greater conviction on your your journey absolutely you, yeah, um, gosh, you said so much. I want to go back to when you spoke about um, the power of camaraderie and teamwork yeah. in the military. Can you tell us more? Yes. Yeah, so there's a few things that, you know, like military sayings that have stuck with me. One of them is we would say when communication fails, the mission fails. And the other one is just knowing the importance. You know, there's a saying that says, I've got your six, which essentially is the person saying, I've got your back. And mm. one of the lessons that, and it's a core value that I have, and it's a core value of Dear Mama Ventures is it, it's an African proverb, but it goes, if you want to go fast, go alone. And if you want to go far, go together. Mm-hmm. 
And I think something that I'm seeing in the black and brown community, especially and with women is that we are working out of such a place of scarcity and lack and that we think, Mm. okay, if I'm meeting with an investor, if I'm getting funding, if I have a resource, I need to keep that for myself because if I share it with you or tell you about it, there might not be enough for me. And that's actually holding us back. And if we look at who the majority of the wealth, the majority of the investments come from about 20 families, you know, um, and majority are white and male. And we we talk about this often in this industry, but it's because they're working together. They're sharing deal flow. They're sharing investors. They're communicating about best practices. We need to do the same thing. And so when I say I'm going back to when communication fails, the mission fails, This brings me to another African proverb that's a core value, which is each one teach one. Mm. And so when slaves were brought over to the U.S., you know, we weren't allowed to read, we weren't allowed to write or learn. And so it became a mandate and a value that if you learn something, it was your obligation to teach it to, you know, your family, to your friends, to your neighbors, right? And Mm. we really need to get back to the core of learning something having a resource, having an opportunity and sharing that with those around us in our community. That's how we build an ecosystem. And then in knowing that if we want to go far and we want to change the world, like I know we can, that we have to start linking arms and working together because that's the only way we can do it. Oh my gosh. I love it. Um, When communication fails, the mission fails. Yes. Each one, teach one. The whole piece on scarcity mindset and this, crab in a barrel syndrome where we get an opportunity we just want to hold on to it and can't share it can't talk about it it really is so damaging it's so damaging to the communities the ecosystems the sustainability um it's very counterintuitive right um if you get an opportunity invite as many people to the table to contribute or collaborate on it um open doors help others open doors because it feels like you're diluting the opportunities for yourself, but actually you're not. You're actually opening the doors to more opportunities for yourself. And the pie gets I bigger. Love that. The pie yeah, gets bigger see. for us to all share. What did you say? Open doors help others open doors? Yeah. When you open oh, the door for when you help other people, um, you know, on their journey, they it's the law of reciprocity. Yeah. They will open doors to, for you as well. It might not be immediate. It's like you're sowing a seed. Yeah. You're sowing a seed. Eventually, <laughs> there will be a fruit. It has to Absolutely. come out. Absolutely. It right? has um, to. So you're not sowing a seed with the expectation that tomorrow, I open the door for you, Alicia, today. Tomorrow, you have to open a door for me. <laughs> right. Um, right. But, um, and also, where you sow a seed is not necessarily where the fruit will come from. I really believe in generosity. Like, so if I'm generous to Alicia, um, it's going to come back to me in some measure. It might not be directly from Alicia. But right. She, she will go out and be an ambassador for me, right? It will eventually, it may be from a friend of a friend of a friend or something. Or yes. I just believe that the universe um, rewards generosity. I do too. I love this so much. I was just thinking this, having this conversation the other day, because I love living in my neighborhood because I know everybody. So I walk to Starbucks. I know their name. They know my name. I walk to cafe where I work from. They know my name. I know their life story, you know? And so I was joking and I said, I have, I feel like I have status at Randy's donuts and at Starbucks. And I don't know if that's a good thing that I go there so often, but you know, I walk in and because I've made a point of just being a good human, being nice to people, taking time to ask about their day, but I get, you know, free (laughs) donuts, coffee. I get so many gifts given to me by people in my community. And it's, and I said, I said, what, what is the measure of this over time? You know, it's not, I walk in and say, Mm -hmm. good morning, Chelsea today. And you give me a free cup of coffee tomorrow, but it's like, it's builds up this trust over time, you know, of this community where you feel like you're invested in somebody, you feel like somebody's invested in you. And because of that, you want to reciprocate that kindness, you know? So the the law of reciprocity is a real thing. It really, really is. And I want to talk about, um, you spoke about combat multipliers and how you discovered your superpower as a woman. Can you talk more about that? Yes. So um, this is, I have to be so grateful for my team for this because when I was in the army, by nature of 
being in the service, you're meant to wear the same uniform. You know, there's not men's uniforms and women's uniforms. We all wear the same thing and it's made for a man. Um, we wear mm. the same, you know, cap. We have to keep our hair back. And there's all these things that really, I feel like make us want to look like one on purpose. You know, it's just like one team, one fight mentality. Mm. And so being the only woman on this team and all of the teams, we all had one woman each and we were all just the most fierce to be because we felt like we needed to prove ourselves in this world of the men. And I remember one of the people on my team, he's, when he said, he's like, use your combat multipliers there were things that I could get from just being a woman that they couldn't get. And there's a lot of this, you know, being soft, nurturing, um, the way I talk to people, the way that I used empathy as an approach to, you know, whether we needed to get stuff done on a mission, people were more willing to talk to me, to give me answers, to give me information, to be helpful to me as a woman. And that wasn't because they thought I was weaker or couldn't take care of myself. It was just how I presented myself in a more caring, you know, way. And so that was really a big signal for me. It also how important it was to be nurturing and use empathy. And that was one of the biggest tactics I used in Afghanistan was how can I simply come from a level of understanding and caring and nurturing to get people to trust me immediately so that we can build a community of trust faster. That's, inc- that's literally what we were just talking about, isn't it? Like the generosity yeah. piece is being um, using like the relational side. Yes. Your intuition. Yeah. Um, your empathy. These are superpowers, but for some mm-hmm. reason, a lot of us women downplay this side of us. Absolutely. And, and we want to mimic what we see. Absolutely. Well, we almost feel like we have to be. You know, I was talking to this woman yesterday who's incredible. She's been a general counsel for 25 years and involved in some of the biggest, you know, corporate deals that of our lifetime. And she said that she felt like she needed to put on this more masculine front to be acceptable, to feel like she was justified as having a seat at the table. And now we're finally, as our journey as women, realizing that, hold on, we actually have so many other superpowers if we can just simply be allowed to be in our divine feminine. And I just talked about this in Dubai on a panel of this is my call to action for women is one um, and just having that we have the permission to show up as our divine feminine selves, leaning more into that intuition and that nurturing, that care and compassion. It goes such a long way. And men really being okay with that and giving us the permission to do so. But also I think in this um, this like era of feminism, we often are combative with men. And we feel like in order to be mm-hmm. a feminist, we have to be anti-male. And it's, it's no, we actually need to work together. That's where the power happens. That's why there's woman and man so that we can work together, you know? Um, and so that's really my, my call to action there. And even one of the biggest competitive advantages I see of myself as a woman fund manager is that ability to very quickly see people to use my intuition. That's been a big part of the deal flow that I've picked that I'm so successful at is really seeing people, understanding them, that intuition with, are you the type of person that you you're presenting to me and going from there? Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Absolutely love it. And I feel like soft skills have been viewed as less than hard skills. um, When in reality, soft skills are the hard skills. (laughs) because yeah. <laughs> you, you can't teach this in the classroom right I love that right um you like you said when you were in Afghanistan you had to learn how to build trust quickly with people that you didn't know through empathy and the the trust the implications of building that trust were high stakes because yeah. you're in a combative environment right? right so it literally can lead to life or death mm-hmm. right um so if the, the, the natural inclination of the divine feminine or, you know, of women with our intuition and our relational strengths, I think we need to shout it to the rooftops. I think we've been, we've told ourselves that they're just, they're less than, they're not really important. Um, and I really think they are. And I love your piece on, it's not, a call to be anti-men but really it's we have to come together in ensuring that because ensuring the upliftment of all yes if we all you know one what's it a rising tide lifts all ships all ships yes right um that's what I strongly believe as well I love that and I agree yeah 
I want to talk a bit more about, you know, you, you were a veteran and you're an entrepreneur and you kind of alluded to challenges that you faced. I want to know more about just generally, like, what are the challenges that veteran entrepreneurs face? Yes. So for the longest time, I didn't even include being a veteran in my story. And so I remember Mm. when I had my tech company, um, I was pitching. So I was at a pitch competition and one of the the moderators stopped my pitch and he paused it. He said, hold on, stop the clock. He's like, you're a veteran, aren't you? And I said, yes. And he said, okay, well, nowhere in your pitch deck did you mention anywhere that you're a veteran. Don't you think that's important to share? And I was like, yes, I guess you're right. And he said, okay, well, why didn't you do this? Mm. And I think, um, you know, this is part of a lot of the work that I did. And and part of my TED talk as well was talking about, you know, the importance of having veterans on your team in any capacity, because we bring so much to the table. For one, we're wired to serve and lead. But there's a stigma that a lot of us face where people think that veterans, you know, suffer from PTSD or um, might not be reliable, or there's all these other things that come to play. And so it's really quite the opposite. You know, if you want somebody who you want a good leader, have a veteran on your team, no other organization has invested millions and millions of dollars in, in training leaders like the military and then professional Mm. athletes. So if you're really looking for good leaders, have a veteran on your team. Um, Veterans know what a bad day is like. So one of the biggest challenges in entrepreneurship is, and I think one of the biggest factors of success is needing rare grit. And so veterans from the type of work that we've had to do that being in war zones, working with teams that were less favorable, being in the field, you know, being in harsh environments, those are things that whatever you're going to throw at us in a civilian world and in entrepreneurship, we have the tools to overcome that. We have the mental toughness and the rare grit to overcome those situations. The ability that we're wired to serve and Mm. and be leaders naturally, we're going to create companies, businesses, teams, value sets that are not only only going to serve the bottom line of the business, but of the communities that we're a part of. And so a lot of veterans have the understanding of what a globe, what it takes to be successful in a global market and what it takes to build a team that's going to work together. And those are things that as an investor, I look for when measuring the success of a company. Um, and yeah. we know what it we know what it's like. So I think overcoming, of course, I turned that into a positive of all the, the benefits of having a veteran. But we have to work still on rewriting that narrative that there's so much more to us than just service. There's so mm-hmm. much more to who we are when we take off that uniform. And if we tap into, you know, the ethos and the training we have in the military, they really can apply in every other chapter of our life. Amazing. Um, yeah, I think, um, is it too late for me to join the military? Because I feel like <laughs> I need more training in this like mental <laughs> toughness and the grit and like enduring harsh environments and disruptions and things like that but um yeah perhaps I'll look for a book to read instead (laughs) um (laughs) um, you spoke about the parallels between athletes and military veterans and this similar kind of loss of identity and you also spoke about how statistically homelessness is quite prevalent amongst those two groups can you explain more on on that Yes. So the parallels between military veterans and professional athletes. So this is one of my favorite things to talk about, because I think that for one, we're seeing this with all of the social justice issues that have come up over the past few years, that athletes really have a tremendous platform to affect change, whether it's in financial literacy, education, voter suppression, our social injustices, police reform, you know, the whole nine yards, athletes, are really using their platform for a lot of good. Veterans have a lot of similarities with professional athletes, but we don't necessarily have that platform. And so my Mm. hopes are that we can start to to bring these two worlds together. And I'm hoping I can kind of merge two. So with professional athletes and, and veterans, like I said, nobody is really investing that much in training leaders Um, like professional sports and like the military. Also, if you look at the type of rare grit and tenacity that it takes to just go to show up that discipline, to show up to practice multiple times a day, to do the right thing when nobody's watching, you know, integrity, in my opinion, you know, it's doing the right thing when, when nobody's watching. And so both professional athletes and military veterans have to constantly act under that 
veil of integrity of the coach isn't watching me while I'm on the weekends to make sure I'm doing the right thing, but I have to, I have to show up to practice every day. You know, I have to do what I'm supposed to do. I have to be a good steward of my community. We have the sense of responsibility that most people don't have. So less than 1% of the population serves in the military. And I know I forget the statistic on professional athletes, but it's such a small number as well. Um, And then we know what it's like to win and what it's like to lose both at really high stakes. So the difference in a bad call in combat is life or death. You know, the mm. difference in a bad call for professional athletes is costing you a, a tournament, a championship, a title, um, a Super Bowl. You know, some of the biggest moments of your life are impacted off of one very quick decision. And knowing how to handle the upside and the downside of that, how are we winning graciously? How are we making calls intentionally? How are we losing graciously? How are we handling loss, you know, and overcoming that? Because there's, whether you're losing a Super Bowl or you're losing somebody in combat, like mm. there's a, there's trauma and there's emotion that's associated with that. How do we overcome that and move to the next thing in our life, you know, and heal from that and grow from that? And these aren't things that the average everyday citizen is walking around with dealing with. And so we're really superheroes. And now take that person and put them in front of a company, put them as a CEO, a COO, as an investor. You you have to bet on us every time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I see it completely. It's very compelling. Um, Your point on the veil of integrity is so, so, so important. Um, Doing what you should be doing, even when no one's looking at you, when your coach is not on your back or your surgeon, surgeon is not on your back, Um, but doing it anyway and showing up for the community Um, true leadership not leading because of a title leading because of a stage or leading because um, you've got an audience but leading to really serve the people Um, these are all core life skills like you said these are superheroes Um, many people go through life and never develop any of these um, these characteristics which I think are really critical to be um, servant leaders in society not just in business but also in community and I want to learn more about the statistic on homelessness why how for veterans or athletes for both yes so this is wild it is really wild and it's I think again one of those it's, it's actually a call to action. It should be to everybody. So most professional athletes, if you look at it, um, look at the demographic of the player and let's just take the NFL and we can take the NBA too, but most professional athletes are black or brown men. Mm. And so it, it, you know, we'll we'll take men's sports. So black or brown men, and they, they look quite different than who's representing as the owners of the team, right? Mm. And so when you look at these men, I remember when I was um, volunteering in Baltimore and inner city Baltimore, these kids, they saw their only way out of the the hood as either being a basketball player, a football player, or a rapper. That was their their only route that they saw out of their neighborhoods. And so if you look at these, these young kids who are drafted into the league, who have never had you know, likely haven't had a stable parent home, likely have been living paycheck to paycheck or on some sort of government assistance, haven't had more than, you know, a couple dollars to rub together, who haven't had the financial literacy and that education because we're not teaching it in our schools to understand how to manage money. We don't have the education to understand how to properly invest or the mentorship to say, as you're getting this money, here's what you do with it, watch out for the bad, you know, financial advisors and planners. And then we're not scaling that money that they are getting in to say, okay, we're going to put some of that here. Here's how you can make an investment here or there. Here's how you can have your money continue to work for you. That's just a recipe for a disaster. And so once they are in, we, we often see, you know, whether it's buying expensive cars or houses or partying or living this lifestyle or buying expensive brands, they're, they're not able to sustain that unless Mm. there is continued income once they get out of these professional sports leagues. 
Um, additionally, I believe that the pace structure that they're given is, is only while they're playing. And this is, I'm probably getting this wrong, so I'm not going to speak too far on this. So there's like, how do you manage getting so much money during one time of the year and then make sure that that's lasting you through the rest of the year? Like, what does that look like? Same thing with military veterans. Most veterans are coming from more rural areas. They're coming from lower a lot of veterans are highly educated coming through, you know, college degrees and programs and things, but they're often just very middle-class people. Mm. And so you're used to getting your same paycheck on the first and 15th of every month. You know exactly what you're going to make. You often have a housing allowance. So there's structure around what you're given. Now, both for professional athletes and military veterans, you have a very specific purpose and cause that you know you're going to do day after day. You're showing up to do it. Once you get out, that handholding and that structure is immediately mm. taken away. Mm. So, and also what's stripped away with taking off that uniform is your sense of identity and purpose. Mm. So unless you're properly prepared to transition, there's like that handholding or baton passing to the next thing. Most veterans and professional athletes are left saying, where am I? You know, how did I get here? Where do I go from here? And what is the thing that makes the most sense of now this very specific experience that I've been paid for for the past several years? Wow, that's a lot to stew on. And like a lot of parallels actually with even family business owners as they transition and move into their next phase of life. You've built up a business and now you need to retire. And who am I? Where am I going? What am I doing next? Um, That evolution of identity is is it's tough and we're not prepared for it. You don't, yeah. You're not taught this in school. No. You don't talk about this at, at the bar on a Friday evening. You don't, no. you don't talk about this with your friends. Right. Um, so it hits you like a ton of bricks and it's like, how do I move forward? There's a lot of grief. A lot. And that, what you said, that evolution of identity, I feel like is, is huge. And that's so beautiful, just how you said that and the grief that's included. So that's probably one of the biggest parallels between professional athletes and military veterans mental health, you know, and there's this amazing founder, Ryan Mundy, who created Alchemy Health, a former athlete, but he's like, let's just take away the mental health because there's a big, you know, stigma in the black and brown community around mental health and just call it health. Like, are Mm. we healthy? And we are suffering from grief, from trauma, from disappointment, from shame, from loss, from all of the things when you're a professional athlete and a veteran. And oftentimes when you're in the service or in the league, you're not handling those mental health issues because you're in it. So now you transition and on top of everything else, it's it's getting your mental health or as Ryan would say, just your health back in order. Mm. And so, um, and especially if you're out of the military, the league because of an injury, like what that does to you emotionally is so great. And so how are we putting things in place to make sure that, our athletes and our veterans are transitioning with a sense of purpose and that evolution of identity, but mm-hmm. also have feel encouraged and supported enough to get healthy. So mind, body, spirit, and then there's a pathway for them um, financially to do, to take care of themselves and to be sustainable. This is really, really important work. Um, so tell us more about Dear Mama. Yes. So Dear Mama, we have a $1 billion initiative to invest, like I said earlier, in the black and brown um, women, military veterans, those of us who've had to overcome all odds to be successful, those of us who are the future of innovation. We're investing in the technology, solutions, people, and uh, communities of tomorrow today. So we have a global focus. Um, Things that are really important to us are I like to say, Dear Mama is the future X, the future of, so the future of Mm. food. So how Mm. are we investing in people and communities, ideas that are there for sustainable production and earthly resources, Um, breakthrough technology. So whether that's in clean energy, whether that's in the blockchain, whether that's in AI, what are the breakthrough technologies that we need as a people to be better in the world? Um, Where does philanthropy, philanthropy and entrepreneurship come into play. So my fund model is really unique in that we use a donor advised fund attached to a regular for-profit VC. So we can take in donations and investments. And so my goal is to unlock this class of capital called philanthropic venture, where people can understand that we can do a lot of good, but make a lot of money at the same time and invest in innovation. And 
continue to focus on global data, accountability, holding those who've pledged money to support our communities accountable for the work they said they're going to do. Um, we invest in sports, media, entertainment, agriculture. We're pretty industry agnostic. But our goal is based off of the understanding that the world has transformed and, and an inclusive culture is the foundation for global transformation and for solving oh. our most difficult global challenges. We aim to be the um, really the epicenter for innovation and change and build pathways for inclusive cultures, educational opportunities, access to capital and generational wealth. And we wholeheartedly believe that all dreams come true if we have the courage to pursue them. So how are we a conduit for dreams, for change, for just empowering communities who've often been overlooked? Amazing. You said it's for the culture, by the culture. Can you explain more about that? Yes. So our three pillars are community, capital, and culture, because one of the biggest challenges we see is that people are often just throwing money around, investing, and that's not enough. You know, how do we have communities that are helping to surround our entrepreneurs with, with mentorship and education and resources um, for the culture, understanding that our culture has always been for sale. So how do we create ownership of that? How are we investing mm. in those who look like us for things that matter to us for mm. our future? And so also understanding that um, we need financial, intellectual, and social capital. A lot of us who are um, people that generally look like us don't have that Ivy League network, you, Ivy League network, you know? Um, so how are we providing that social capital as well to really get people to the front of the line faster so that we can make the change? I absolutely love it. And if anyone's listening, how can they be helpful in your mission with Dear Mama Ventures? Yeah. Yeah, so we are actively raising. I'm always open um, to talk to potential LPs who are a good fit for our mission and vision and our values. Most importantly, we are um, looking at evaluating entrepreneurs. So we're writing our first few checks now. So always looking for people who are um, who fit our investment thesis and then just looking for people who are mission and vision and value aligned who would love to be a member of this community and help support the communities and the causes that we're passionate about. Incredible. And how can they learn more about you and your work? Yes. Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. I'm sure my name is listed here somewhere. So they can yeah, find we'll me on LinkedIn. <laughs> we have our website, dearmamaventures.com. We can also be found by dearmamafund.com and Instagram at dearmamavc. Oh my gosh, Alicia, this has been incredible. Um, there's no one that's doing what you're doing. I've never come across this. It's the lens of females, veterans, with the understanding of the athletes as well and trying to build the future X, like you said, next generation of businesses with an inclusive lens. You know, this is special work and it's been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for coming today. Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Whoa, Alicia Hanf. I just want to say thank you for shining a light on issues that are so important and opening our eyes to see things that we may not ordinarily have seen, right? Um, I know for a fact I can speak for myself. I was completely oblivious to the plight of veterans and to athletes, right? Not understanding or being aware of the social and economic outcomes for this under estimated group and I'm just just completely blown away by Alicia's work and she says underrepresented or underestimated founders represent enormous untapped potential and have the lived perspective needed to solve the world's biggest challenges and goodness grief this is a podcast episode in of, in of itself in that, I think just even looking at from the demographics, right, um, the United States is known that it will become minority white in 2045. 
and already Gen Zs and below are already minority white. Um, so there's a huge demographic tilt that will call for us to reimagine, rethink and um, transform the way we support, as Alicia says, underrepresented and underestimated founders because they really have the keys to solving the world's biggest challenges. So thank you once again, Alicia, and thank you folks for listening in. Please share this episode with a friend. I truly appreciate it. I wanted to give you guys just a quick update on my book. (laughs) Um, If you didn't know, I am finishing up my book called Lifetime to Legacy, and it's really about how can we build businesses that would outlive us, a new vision for multi-generational family enterprises and it's been this baby that I've been carrying for a while (laughs) I thought um yeah writing a book is not easy guys um yeah I may do another episode on that just alone talking about the 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 writing process and that journey um but anyway to cut a long story short before I'm just rambling um I finally finished my final draft and it was so nice to click send and send it off to the editor and be like, this is out of my jurisdiction. This is now somebody else's responsibility. And all I have to think about is, you know, going to market, creating the awareness and ensuring that we go live and everything is fine on that side. So I'm so, so, so excited. Um, It's been a huge labor of love and I can't wait, honestly can't wait for it to be out and for a number of you have reached out to me that when is it out have you released this book i want to get my hands on a copy don't worry don't worry you won't miss it when it's out because i will loud it for sure so thank you guys for all your support i'm so grateful all of your listens all of your ratings your subscribes and your follows and if you haven't done any of those things please do um yeah (laughs) Thank you so much for listening in. Take good care and God bless you.